I'm John Beethan, and this is What Has My Attention, Episode 54, Women in Strong Leadership, Talking About the High Achieving Collaborator. This is a continuation of the conversations with Lisa Pachentz, Audrey Holst, and Patty Block. And here are a few things that caught my attention. Success is in a we and not in an I. Trauma-informed leadership. The difference between feedback and validation. Regarding feedback, don't be nice, be honest. Our messaging is never done. You never get it. It's never right on spot. Our message is meant to evolve, and it evolves as we do as human beings and business owners. Trust in the feedback, it can lead to collaboration. We were never taught how to receive feedback. What does collaboration mean, and what does it look like? And what about collaborations between more than two people? Welcome, everybody. This is John Beethan with What Has My Attention, whathasmyattention.com. And this is the seventh in a series we've been doing. Oh, my gosh. Going to have to, like, spin off a new channel. But what we're doing, actually, this one is titled The High Achieving Collaborator. I've introduced myself, and I just want to let everybody else have an opportunity to introduce themselves again, in case you don't know who they are. And at some point, I'm going to remove myself from the stream because I am here to elevate you and let everybody um, you know, be able to experience you as you are. So who wants to go first? I'm happy to. I'm Patty Block. When I was growing up, my mom made these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of women-owned businesses make less than $100,000 a year. And all of a sudden, this image of my mom eating the broken cookies pops in my head. And this pattern that I had seen over all the years I've been working with women business owners, I started connecting the dots and realizing we're following our role models, our mothers and our grandmothers, and bringing that spirit of self-sacrifice into our businesses, which is essentially creating a self-imposed glass ceiling. And often we're not aware of it, and we don't know what to do about it once we figure it out. So that is my mission, is to help women business owners who are experts in their fields understand the value that they're bringing to their clients and price accordingly, streamline their operations, and run their business in their way. Every time, Patty. I love your introduction every single time. Thank you. Um, my name is Lisa Vicenz. I'm a master certified coach. And I have to tell Patty Block that my mother-in-law made me chocolate chip cookie bars this weekend. And I thought of you. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for the amazing introduction that uh, kind of puts all other introductions to shame in a way. 
It's so wonderful. So uh, Lisa Pachance, I'm a master certified coach. I own LP Coaching Consulting, uh, which is really about supporting underfulfilled, high achieving women to have the life of their dreams. I think so often, and I and I so relate, Patty, to to your introductions. Um, so often, I work with high achieving women who cannot seem to combine success and satisfaction in the same room. They will work hard and achieve and move up and plan the path, get promoted, and leave all sorts of sense of satisfaction behind. They won't be able to have their whole cookies. They'll have the dregs, or they might have that chocolate chip that fell on the floor. <laughs> But they they can't bring together the, the satisfaction and success. Or we have this idea that satisfaction means we're going to sit in the middle of the woods and, you know, um, and chant and hold hands and contribute nothing to society. And I work with these types of women because I was one. I, for the life of me, could not bring together those two things in the same room. And so many women experience that. We put ourselves in the back burners. We... We have this culture of enableism of perfection and performance and all sorts of collaboration and community and connection. The things that we crave and that are missing are left behind because we're unable and we um, are unwilling oftentimes to practice putting ourselves first. So I like to say I bring sexy back into the lives of high achieving women um, after they've lost it for so many years, which impacts so many places in, in our lives, our business, uh, our partnerships, our social lives, our self-care. Um, that's what I do. And I love it. LP coaching life on purpose starts now. Amazing. I'm always so feel so blessed to be in the room with both of you, both of whom I've been at other points in my life intimidated by, but now that I've gotten to know you as human beings, it's, it's just a pleasure. And, um, I am, Audrey Holst. I'm the founder of Fortitude and Flow and the Perfectionist Archetypes. And I uh, I love the title that we're working with today or the theme that we're working with today, the High Achieving Collaborator, because it speaks to a lot of what I love and a lot of what I work with. It's the both and. There's this feeling like I can only hold one thing at, the, at one time in my body. So the people that I work with are often really able to embody hustle and success and work hard and put my head down and just keep going. Their bodies are really acclimated to that way of, of functioning. And they're really, they really struggle with the, with the relaxation piece, with the contentment piece, with the feeling like I've actually landed piece. There's this kind of feeling like they're always chasing a finish line that never actually gets there. And there's never actually a landing and a relaxation. And they haven't figured out how to hold the both and of success and ease or relaxation and achievement. So these are things that are not just concepts that we hold in our heads, but they're actually embodiments in our nervous system. So this is the thing that I work with people around is being able to be comfortable and rewire the holding of what they're able to, to basically have in their bodies, in their minds, in their lives, because we are more than just our brains. We are our whole systems. Uh, and so I work with teams and individuals around that, that concept of letting go of the things like toxic perfectionism and getting away from things like pre-burnout and being able to hold the both ands in our system, because there's a lot of that that's needed now, especially as we're 
we're through this kind of tumultuous time in in shifts in leadership and shifts in the world. Um, so those are my people. That's what I'm up to, and I cannot wait to dive into this this dual dualistic in a lot of ways uh, topic. But obviously, there's a there's a synergy here. So Audrey, that's a great segue into our topic. So. What does being a high achieving collaborator mean to you? So as I was relating to this topic, um, I was feeling into because because to me, it feels like there's a bit of a two different things to relate to the achiever and the, the collaborator. Um, I noticed that I have a tendency towards collaboration, right? That's where I'm a little bit more wired towards collaboration and cooperation and and getting getting along is a bit of is more of my initial wiring. And the high achieving piece, I also have that as well. Um, and so for me, there's that high achieving, which which requires a certain bit of, of standing out and standing apart a little bit. I, for me, when I hear about high achieving collaborator, I feel like this is somebody who has a clear vision and has clear boundaries for their vision and also wants to be in, in community and collaboration around these visions and also take in some input from other people. Um, so, to me, this is somebody who has a clear vision and is also has a high value around community, which I, I find myself to be that. I don't really relate to being a high achiever necessarily. I think that perhaps I am, but I don't I don't label myself that way. So that's that's how I relate to it. Yeah. What about you, Patty? Well, for me, it's um, it is exactly what you described. But I'm going to go back to one of our previous conversations where we talked about the power dynamic and the fact that, and in my view, power is about community because there is no power if you're in a vacuum, if you're standing somewhere by yourself. You don't have any power and there's nothing to even discuss there. So it's between people that there is a power dynamic. And in our current business environment, there is a lot about competition. And so a lot of my clients, again, who are all women business owners, struggle with that. There is the comparitis, right? I'm constantly comparing themselves to their colleagues, their competitors, quote unquote competitors, and not seeing the potential opportunities for collaboration. So I think um, there's a power dynamic in what we're talking about because it's also your mindset. Do you believe that the only way you can be a successful business owner is by competing? Or do you believe there's, a, there's room for collaboration? And I personally believe there's tremendous room for collaboration. And I never worry about competitors because we live in an abundant big market, which is now global since we have no geographic restrictions, since we can meet virtually anytime we want. And because it's so generally accepted now because of the pandemic. So it our limitations that we might have had a few years ago are gone. And that to me opens an incredible opportunity for collaborating. Lisa? There's so much I want to say about this topic. I'm glad that we have a full 45 minutes or hour or however long we go. First of all, I just want to highlight that I believe that each of us embodies high achieving collaborator here in our own ways. And I think it's important for 
um, for us as individuals to define our own labels because it will mean something different to each of us. And to me, high achieving collaborator is so interesting because there's a lot of juxtaposition. There's a lot of like either or, as Audrey, you pointed out, instead of the both and. And our brains really function in a place of black and white, of either or. Like our survival mechanisms do that in order to identify and label and box things so that we can be safe, we can problem solve, we can identify. So it is really easy for us to fall into a either or. I can either achieve or I can collaborate. And those two things are counterintuitive, but they're really not. However, I think it it takes it takes something to be able to bring them together. It takes some practice. To me, bringing those two things into the same room requires a lot of vulnerability on my part. It requires me to let go of um, any sort of agenda of what I think I know of trying of going in and going, okay, I want to like make this relationship do X. I want to get this client. I want to, um, you know, have three referrals by the end of this conversation. I actually have to let go of that in order to really collaborate and generate something um, other than what I think I should generate. And I think it's also important for me to identify the difference between high achieving and overachieving. Because for me, I have a very strong overachieving, overfunctioning, um, perfection uh, coping mechanism that I developed from being a high level athlete at a young age, from coming from a family of two doctors who were like the first in their fields for numerous things. And my grandfather like helped build the radar. And it's just like, <laughs> there's a lot of things to live up to. And generationally overachieving was like safe. It was the thing to do in order to get validation, in order to get um, recognition and in order to get like social leverage and social credibility. So it's like, I actually have to let go of that need in order to be able to generate results in community. And um, for a very long time, I was not a collaborator. I think it's so interesting, Audrey, that you came onto the call and you're like, you know, at first I was intimidated by you two ladies and now I'm not because I got to know you. And I'm like, I felt the same way. And I think that's exactly an example of some of the path we have to walk to get to this place of being able to achieve and collaborate at the same time. And I had to let go of so much comparison and so much competition and so much of the idea that in order to succeed, I had to be first and alone rather than success is in a we, not in an I. I love what you've said, Lisa, because you really described me in terms of that feeling like I need to be the first the lone wolf, the high achiever. One of the things I'm going to highlight, but I don't want to get too stuck in this, is the word over. And to me, it's like the word just. So overachieving, overreacting, which of course women are accused of all the time. You're overreacting. And using the word just, well, I just want this, or I just did this, or I'm just charging this. 
right? So those two words to me have been imposed on us. And we use both of them in a way to protect ourselves. But on the other hand, it's an implied criticism. So I want to highlight that because I want to be careful that we're not criticizing ourselves. And when I was growing up, I absolutely would have described myself as an overachiever. And sometimes that caused all kinds of issues in my life because I went above and beyond when it wasn't really necessary. And there's a toll to pay when you do that. There's a personal toll. So I just wanted to highlight that and get your input, Audrey's input, on that language that we inherited that I think A, doesn't apply to us anymore, and B, when we continue to use it as women, we're kind of perpetuating that self-criticism, which we all suffer from. So what are your thoughts about that? I want to hear from Audrey on this. Yeah, this is this is really important. Language is really crucial. This is something that actually uh, my own coach made a brilliant uh, post about recently. Um, my coach Lena West, and she talked about like when we use language like "I am," when we say things like "Oh, I'm really struggling. I'm a mess. I am this. I am that," and we can highlight these things that we are stating as a fact about ourselves. Or we could say things like, I need support right now. I'm looking for, I'm looking for comfort. I am right. The things that we are in, in search of in need of, um, and just the way that we phrase those sort of things. So I think just language in general, how we talk about stuff. I, uh, it was pointed out to me uh, in a therapy session recently, actually, uh, my therapist was like, well, you just, I, cause I said something about, I'm, I'm finally, I feel like I'm being handed these opportunities. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. Like you literally just sat in your house have done nothing for the past three months and somebody just literally knocked on your door and like handed you these things. It wasn't like maybe that you've been putting the work in or that you've been setting your intention and moving towards it or like building relation. It wasn't like you did anything to move yourself towards these things. So yes, I think that language is extremely important and I think it's really interesting to have these things reflected back to us because often when we're using the language we are not tracking it just like you were saying patty the other thing that i that i think is important in this conversation uh is just the concept of safety so this is something that i'm that i'm i track on a regular basis with clients so when i talk about the body and the nervous system um is the concept am i safe do i belong and in order to let go of things like comparison, control, competition, conditional relationships, which are these things that we often, um, that's, those are things that I would categorize under perfectionism as, as things that come, come in hand in hand. These are things that we believe we need to, in order to be safe. So a lot of the rewiring is, is our creating safety in ourselves, figuring out how to resource ourselves and to feel safe in, in environments that feel threatening. I'm putting that in quotes because I could say an environment that feels threatening is being in a conversation with Patty and Lisa in the beginning, right? For me, there was a feeling of threat there. And there was a resourcing in myself knowing that this is what I want to do. This is important to me. This aligns with my values. And I know that it feels threatening, 
but it's not, that this is actually a good thing. So that's something I wanted to highlight as, as being important in if we're talking about high achievement, we're talking about collaboration, we're talking about putting two things together that don't often seem like they go together, is how is just that concept of what's our relationship to safety within this particular paradigm? Oh my God, that's so brilliant. I love <laughs> I, I love how you um, how you put things so simply and somatically. I really relate to that. So I was going to go in a different direction, but now I want to talk about safety because <laughs> it's just like, it's so interesting. So I'm taking a, a course in trauma-informed leadership right now, and I've always been interested in how trauma and lack of safety in ourselves creates our coping mechanisms that we tend to rely on and then overuse. And then over time, it, it doesn't have the impact that we want it to have. Like in order to, for me to be able to bring success and satisfaction into the same room or success and joy into the same room, I had to let go of my perfectionism and my performance all the time in order to pick up a new, a new tool and a new mechanism and connect just for the sake of connection. And what was really interesting and in that I've been picking up in my trauma-informed leadership course is that when as, as a child and even now as an adult, if my, if my body and my nervous system senses, whether it's accurate or not, that um, my sense of self might be threatened, then one of two things could happen. The first is that I have a, uh, a nervous system response. So like that's the anxiety, that's the fight, flight, or freeze that that is a kind of a limbic shift is what my teacher uh, taught me. That's more of the intense version. But then there's the subtler version, which is because we have these core beliefs, like I had a core belief that if I spoke up in a group, I would be embarrassed. I would be um, ridiculed. I would make a fool of myself. And so I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak up. So instead, from the achiever mindset or the overachiever, which I want to address in a second, I would have the thing perfect that I would want to say. I would know exactly what I wanted to say and how I said it in order to avoid the, the re-traumatization and the, and the lack of safety. But that takes a lot of energy. That also creates a ton of anxiety. And it doesn't generate any sort of connection community or relationship in the moment. So generating your own sense of belonging and really soothing your nervous system, doing all your inner work so that you can show up with that sense of safety already having created, having been created, I think is so, so important for achievers. Because otherwise someone like me would just keep operating from perfection and I need to get it right and I have to say the right thing and then I would freeze. And that's just not not great either. And I think, Patty, what you said about the, the overachieving and, the, and that word, I think is really, really important. Uh, because I think you're right. I think that overachieving in the flat sense of the word, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the pursuit of excellence and growth and seeing, seeing what you can do and possibility, all of those things are fantastic. I mean, that's how 
we've generated new things. That's how we got to the moon. That's how we built rocket ships. I mean, it's, it's all great. It's past the point of expectations. And I think where, where in my work with the, with the women that I work with, we have to be super intentional is where, where that drive is coming from. Is it coming from this idea of never enough, which is very, very toxic. It's this like, I have a void that cannot be filled ever, but I'm going to try to fill it anyways through external validation and doing all these things that I think I should be doing. Or is it coming from a place of, yes, I want to, I want to make more money. I want to hit the seven figures. I want to defy these expectations. So I think we need to really look at those core beliefs that are, that are coming up and and driving us. But I think it's a, it's a really, really good point. What's your take on it? Patty. Well, I agree with everything that you and Audrey have said. The let's go back to the idea of the collaboration. So everyone, you know, it's it's funny. I think in order to be a business owner, being high achieving is part of your DNA. I don't know any business owners who aren't on high achieving. That's fair, Patty. That is yeah. fair. <laughs> At least those who've made it. Well, because you have to manage your risk when you either decide to start a business or you've been in business for a long time, you're always managing risk. Whereas when you have a job, your risk is lower because you know you have a steady paycheck and benefits and the same group of people that you work with all the time. And one of the things I love about being a business owner is the variety that I'm constantly working with different people. I'm meeting all kinds of people. So it that is so interesting and energizing for me, which lends itself to collaboration. And the idea of the high achieving and collaboration going together, I think, again, I think some of what we've inherited is that language around competition. And especially if you're looking at it from a marketing perspective, that's what everybody in the marketplace is talking about, is how to beat your competitors, how to get people to choose you over your competitors. And if you're in a product-related company, I get that. I understand that concept. But many of us are in service-related companies. And I think the idea of collaboration will get us so much farther than worrying about competitors or trying to undercut competitors. And one of the big challenges with that is one way to undercut your competition is lower your prices. And I think that's the exact opposite of what especially women should be doing in the marketplace. We should be pricing for real value and help our buyers understand what that means. So again, it's a mindset shift and Lisa, you mentioned something a minute ago that I want to come back to, and that, that was about new ideas and innovation. And we're all striving for that. I know I am. I love doing new things, checking in with my audience, finding out what's resonating. To me, it, it's interesting because you use the word validation. Both of y'all have used that. And you're right. For those of us that are achieving, that is what we're looking for, is that validation. And what's so maybe ironic to me is that when I test things, 
with my audience and I get positive feedback or I see people nodding or they then tell me, you know, y'all did it today when I was talking about the broken cookie effect. And you immediately gave me feedback about how that resonates with you. Well, that is validating. And I would rather have that kind of validation where I feel I've achieved something as opposed to validation because I beat a competitor or because I did things the way I was kind of, quote, supposed to do them. I just don't buy into that anymore. I used to. And I don't anymore because I've seen with my own eyes and I have experienced that power of working with others and helping others first, giving first, because it always comes back around in a positive way. Maybe not in a way you expect. And I've certainly had that happen where things have come back around and I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised at the outcome. But it's just a different way of approaching your business and I think approaching your life. I have a I have a curiosity for you, Patty, if that's okay. Sure. What's the difference for you between feedback and validation? It's mm, a great question. Feedback can be negative or positive. Validation is positive. So when I ask for feedback, I I really want honest, constructive feedback. So what I often say to people is, don't be nice, be honest. <laughs> because that's our default as women is we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we tiptoe around and I don't want people tiptoeing around me. There's no need. And I don't want you to be rude and purposely hurt my feelings, but I trust that you're not going to do that. Right. So if I'm in an interaction, I wouldn't be in that interaction if I didn't have some trust that good things were going to come of it. So, yes, do I want you to be diplomatic in your feedback? That would be nice. But I also want you to be honest because otherwise the feedback is not valuable. And I look at all feedback as a gift. Good, bad, indifferent. It is a gift. And it helps me then make decisions and continue working on things. And, and one thing, I think there's a huge misunderstanding about our messaging. Our messaging is never done. You never get it. You never, it's never right on spot and it's not going to change. Our message is meant to evolve. It evolves as we do as humans and as business owners. So, for those of you who think you, you're going to find just exactly the right words that's going to that's going to resonate with your audience, and then you're done, that's a mistake. So, because we're always striving and achieving and want to do better, when you approach your messaging in that way, which I have to say has taken me years to get to that, when you approach your messaging in that way, all of a sudden it's very liberating because I feel more comfortable to test things and to not find the, quote, perfect answer or the perfect words. And my audience 
evolves as much as I do. So what they need or what they needed five years ago is different than what they need today, which means my messaging needs to reflect that. So that's the difference I see between feedback and validation. Although the validation is lovely and I like it and I want it, that feedback to me is more valuable. So glad this is recorded. <laughs> I got to save this and send it to all the business boot campers that I that I work with in my coaching community. It's great feedback, Patty. Oh my gosh, I loved the the last thing that you said. Um, kind of like hit the punchline for me, which is as a as an entrepreneur, as someone who's interested in um, you know doing well and doing better and growing, and as a collaborator. The most important thing is the feedback and being open to the feedback and practicing trust in that space. And I think that's actually what leads to collaboration. Like we have to be willing to be open and vulnerable and, and practice trust as a gift. Um, and trust is a really interesting conversation. Maybe we can do that in another podcast episode. But I really believe that collaboration is absolutely needed uh, I'm sorry, trust is absolutely needed for collaboration. But that also means being open to um, to all of it. And where validation, I think, goes awry is expecting validation or only working towards validation and not getting anything else. Um, in the coach training program that I was a part of and that I helped to lead, that was a huge, huge part of our constant conversations around um, bringing up other leaders and mentor coaches was like, what is your relationship to feedback? Are you expecting validation? Are you expecting never to have anything negative or any sort of confrontation or conflict or, or are you open to all of it and having that be the priority with, with the ability to receive validation and positive reflections when it comes, but not needing it all the time. Yes. I think that's, those are great points. And I'd love to hear what Audrey is thinking. Yeah. I've got a lot of things in my brain right now that are flying around. Um, in, in relationship to what you just said about feedback, I just want to offer that I think it's important that, so just like Patty said, all, all feedback is valid, interesting, worthwhile, all of that sort of thing. I think if you are in a relationship where you are offering feedback and expecting or desiring a certain um, impact, you know, perhaps you're in a leadership position, you're offering somebody feedback on your team or something like that. It's really important to consider your relationship because there are a lot of people who are really good at giving feedback about all the things you can do better, but have never actually offered any feedback on what's been going well, what the person is actually doing well. Um, there, I'm actually doing a, um, a collaboration with my friend Iggy Perillo around leadership. And Iggy talks a lot about trust. And we, we talk and we break down what it is to have a, 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 a continuum of trust and distrust, where people are on that continuum of trust and, and distrust. Because the relationship will affect how feedback is received or even given. So I think that that's, and, and some stranger on the internet can give you feedback, right? And you can take that or leave that. But if you are in an ongoing relationship with somebody um, who is giving you feedback or you're receiving feedback from, um, it is important to understand that 
we are not taught how to receive feedback. It's one of those things that like we don't learn. Nobody's taught. We were never taught in school. Here's how to receive feedback. Right. And these things actually matter for me. I don't really understand a thing until it's been modeled to me. That's just the honest truth. I, I need to see something. I need to see it in action. I need to understand it. So if I haven't seen it done well, because I've seen, I've seen a lot of things done poorly, but if I haven't seen something been done well, I may not quite un, not get it. That's how I that's how I function. So I think when it comes to feedback, that is something to consider is, is this person receiving my feedback poorly because of them, which is part of it? Or is it also that I have an expectation of the relationship and that I just want them to do something better, but I've never actually highlighted for them all the things I do appreciate and all the things that I do see that they're doing well. And all they're hearing from me is this could be better and this could be better and this could be better and this could be better. And they're pretty, they're feeling pretty beat down on that side. So I think that that's something that's worth um, mentioning. Um, I love that I had actually written down the word trust under collaborator. And then Lisa touched on that and I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the concept of not having to tiptoe around a person, right? You can't be an honest collaborator with somebody if you have that sort of eggshell relationship. There has to be a baseline of trust there. Um, and then one final thing, I'm, I'm kind of bouncing all over, but I'm, I'm really just unloading what's been bopping around in my brain this whole time. Um, uh, a new, uh, this woman, Katie Burkhart, whose work I've been following recently and who I really, really is just a brilliant human being. I think everybody should go follow her work. It's, it's amazing. Um, matter logic. She's absolutely brilliant. She wrote recently about the concept of big ideas and what big ideas we want to actually give airtime to. And are these big ideas things that if we were to believe this big idea, and these are my words, she said it much shorter and more <laughs> clear. So go follow Katie and figure it out. But generally, is this an idea that I want to want more of in the world? And if that's true, what is that? What, what do I need to do? What does that mean? So I think a lot of these things we're talking about, like this concept of a high achieving collaborator, this may be completely new for some people. And this actually requires a certain amount of imagination. So we have to imagine something that maybe we don't believe exists or have not seen exist. And so again, it's that, okay, I have to practice my imagination, but also I do best if I, if I see things modeled well. So, okay, where are people approaching that, right? And starting to just pay attention to what is existing in the world that I believe is possible and starting to feed that in ourselves. And I think that's also going to contribute to the safety. It's going to contribute to the trust. It's going to contribute to an expanded nervous system, um, all of that. Well, that goes back to women supporting women. That and, right there. And I completely agree with you, Audrey. I think the, we need, you know, I've talked about this before. We need more leadership, period, end of sentence. We need more leadership in the business world, in government, in politics. That's definitely something that is a huge frustration for me. But also when I see women that are achieving in all of those places and who understand the power of them themselves as a role model, it's interesting. I think in many cases, and of course I'm thinking from a political perspective, but I think in many cases men don't view themselves necessarily as role models. 
and they're very involved in the power dynamics. Women often see themselves as role models and understand, and maybe that's because we often take that seriously as parents as well. So women come to it with a very different approach. And I see this in business as well. So I do see people in the marketplace that are those high achieving collaborators, but they're still fairly far between. And when I see it, when I understand the dynamics and what they're bringing to their thought leadership, I want, you know, as you've used Katie as an example, I want to highlight those people because I, and again, that's not gender related, but it's not as common as I wish it was. And there's still so much talk about competition. And I think part of that is because the marketing companies, that's how they make money. And so they're going to continue. And the loudest people in the market are the marketers. So a lot of what is happening, um, what we hear on social media, what we see, what we internalize, what we compare ourselves to, all of those things I think are really destructive. And while we can't operate in a vacuum, we need to find a place, each of us, and especially as business owners, we need to find a place where we have those safe spaces, those trusting relationships where collaboration is the norm. And again, that takes some searching to actually find the place where you feel that. But it's worth the effort to do it because, and I've found several groups that I'm involved with where I feel that. Some where I'm involved, I feel that much less. And I try to bring that to my relationships. And I talk about that because, and I often meet one-on-one with people because for me, that's just much more effective. But also, that's the way I want to build a relationship. So finding those safe spaces where there is that kind of trust, where you can talk about collaborating, and not just, I'll promote your stuff and you promote mine. It's so much deeper than that. Ooh, that yeah, that brings up a really great question, which is what does collaboration really mean to us? What does it look like? And where might the boundaries of collaboration be or end and what's ideal? Um, I heartily resonate with the having leaders that we can model ourselves after being really, really important. And I think collaboration requires someone to go first. It requires uh, it requires a community. It requires someone to step in and say, hey, I want to set up a one-on-one with you or say, I'd love to work together or um, someone like Michael Roderick who set up this amazing Facebook group and set up all these other things where collaboration was possible. And I think it's, it's so important for someone to go first in relationship, but have it be a calling forth, like a together or coming together rather than I am the leader and you are my minions. And I think that that transaction or the, um, the giving and receiving of goods is a, is an extremely common thing and it prevents collaboration from really happening. Um, which is a, I, I think what you were, what you were mentioning, Patty, 
Whereas to me, collaboration really is the relationship. It's the being able to trust. It's saying like, hey, I think there's there's something here. Let's let's talk about that. Let's let's get creative. I'd love to do something with you. Like there's a, there's a lot of synergy, and so there's a there's much more of an exploration than there is a um, power dynamic, like at a, an above or below. And that's what I really respect about um, Michael's group. I respect that in other groups that I'm in. Um, and I think it's also important in the women helping women to lift other people up as well. I feel so strongly about that, that as I've found success in my own leadership and my own business, it's, it's super important for me to look at those who are following in my footsteps or who are a couple steps behind or a couple chapters behind and go, Hey, how can I support you as, as a, um, a modeling of high achieving collaboration? Like, yes, I've found success. I've not done it alone. There has been a lot of suffering and burden and shoulds and tears <laughs> and I don't want to, and I want to quit. And I've had so much help. I've had so, so many people reach down and support me and how can I do the same? But it's that it's that type of modeling that I think perpetuates collaboration. But I, I do think it is it is a we conversation, and it does. I feel a sense of ownership and a I need to do my part too in that. It doesn't. It's not just going to like happen. Yeah, as I was hearing you describe that, I the thing that came to mind was just the concept of standing shoulder to shoulder. And to me, obviously, the way I speak, the way I teach, the way I move through the world, I'm very kinesthetic. So everything for me is a translation through my body. It's it's how I I process information. So when I'm con- when I am contemplating the concept of collaboration, when I'm feeling the concept of collaboration within myself, it is this feeling of being shoulder to shoulder with somebody. It's this feeling of I can speak honestly. I can tell somebody if I disagree with something, and that actually I have that trust that this person is going to take that information in, and we're going to have a conversation about it. There's not a withholding. There's not a, I, I don't feel like I can bring this. There's a feeling of we can have an honest conversation. To me, that's collaborative. I can have boundaries in that relationship. That person can have boundaries with me. We can express them to each other. There is a healthy ecosystem that happens between us. Um, and a collaboration. It's interesting as we're talking about collaboration, it does occur to me as two, as like two entities. Like when I think about a collaboration, I kind of think about two people. I'm thinking about myself and another and a colleague. I'm thinking about myself and a client. Um, I actually hadn't thought about the concept of a collaboration between more than two people until right now. But I guess I haven't really thought about a collaboration between more than two people. I'm, and I'm kind of curious now about that. If anybody, if either of you have a have a thought about that, I see Patty. Patty's nodding her head too. Yeah, um, I think it starts between two people. So I'm in a group that is somewhat divided. And it's not by gender, it's by business model. So some have a business model that is very finance oriented, and they're all about the competition and beating the competition. And then there's some of us in the group that I have discovered and kind of recognized that we are much more collaborative and take a different approach and have a somewhat different business model. And so I started recognizing which women in the group fell into that category. And then I invited those women to a meeting. 
And I said, this is not to segment by gender and this is not to exclude anyone, but I think in addition to the opportunity for us to collaborate, y'all need to know each other. I know you, I've gotten to know you and I can see that we're aligned in terms of how we approach our businesses, but y'all don't know each other. So just by starting that, and you'll appreciate the name, we call it the block party. And I didn't choose that name, but when I said, if we're gonna meet on a regular basis, we need a name. And that's what they came up with. I was muted, but I just laughed so hard. That tickles me so much. I love that. So good. I will also mention that it's very validating. So they chose to name it the block party and we meet once a month and everyone is getting to know each other. So that was an opportunity for me to facilitate that. And to me, that's the spirit of collaboration. And that are there other business advisors in that group? Yes. Is that okay with me? You bet. None of us can take everyone who comes to us, nor should we. So there is lots of opportunity and there's lots of ways that, you know, for example, I don't work with male business owners. So when I am talking with gentlemen and they have a need for business advising, I am thrilled to refer them to some of my colleagues who don't make a gender distinction. So again, I just think there's just so much opportunity and that approach is how I wake up every day, feeling that, thinking that and wanting to connect people. And that's the whole purpose in my view of connecting people is what can they create together? And will they believe that they're as aligned as I think they are? Right. So in in that, there probably is some validation. Right. It's just like if you're matchmaking and you set up somebody on a date, you want to believe that you have insights and that they're going to really like each other. Well, it's the same thing in business. And so I'm invested in what happens to my colleagues and my clients. And to me, that's all part of being collaborative. So your example, Patty, underlined what I've been trying to say, and I couldn't really figure out how I wanted to say it, but I really think that to be a high-achieving collaborator, we have to have a heart of giving and a heart of service and a heart of giving back. And that's what I heard in, in what you created. There wasn't any sort of agenda besides let's get everyone to together so you all know each other and maybe something happens. I don't know. And then the black party was formed. And that's and that that's how I see the most pure sense of innovation. There isn't necessarily an agenda per se. I mean maybe there is, but collaboration is about seeing what happens when you bring things together. It's almost like a chemistry experiment. <laughs> and see and seeing like putting this atom and that atom and that chemical. And oh, like, look at look at this thing. Potassium was formed. I'm, I'm not a chemistry major, so that was probably wrong. But the heart of giving, I think, is so, so important. Um, and I think that really differentiates, just to use myself as an example, that differentiates the me now as opposed to the me 10 or 15 years ago, is I was so afraid to give that I would be 
trampled upon or trod upon or like taken for granted or what whatever it was that I just kind of stopped stopped giving and stopped collaborating instead of finding finding my my power and trusting myself and owning myself and really understanding like who's the person that I would want to collaborate with someone like Audrey and someone like Patty that works so this is something that um I've been just I was chewing on and then I I feel like just you and that statement Lisa spoke to is for me, the high achieving collaborator is somebody that is already in a leadership role. I feel like this is somebody who has some mileage behind them, that has some experience behind them and has some social proof, uh, financial proof, and is in a certain uh, phase in their business. I don't think that, just to your point, when I first started, I did not have the capacity to embody something like a high achieving collaborator because I didn't have a foundation underneath me yet. I didn't really know what I was doing. I still felt like, well, I don't have experience in these particular things. So I don't really know where I'm at. I was still orienting to business. I was still figuring things out. So I think that if anybody's listening and is feeling maybe like, well and good, Audrey, Patty and Lisa, fantastic. But like, I just feel like there's not enough money for me in the market. I'm not making money right now. I'd love to be a high achieving collaborator, but I just feel, you know, if you're feeling like, okay, I'm in a certain phase of my business that I'm having a hard time relating to this, as we're talking about it, I do think that there is a certain amount of foundation that's helpful to have in order to feel this embodiment, right? I think that there is this, there is a building and a capacity that needs to happen in order to, to, relate to this a little bit more. And that's okay. It's just like any phase of business, just like Patty's talking about different business models and how our messaging changes, how our business models change. All of these things are cyclical. And I think it's really important. I wish that I had been able to, or somebody had been explicit with me um, earlier on in my business to career. Um, I've had a coach now that has seen me and my business very clearly. In the beginning, like my coach will say, you got a toddler. This thing does not know how to do anything on its own. You've got to tend to it. You have to pay attention to it. You got to move it a lot. You know, it's not going to be making money on its own first out the gate. You know, there's some tending and 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 attending to that's important to. So um, that's what occurs to me in terms of this conversation that there may be a certain amount of footing that you want to have underneath you to be able to relate to it. And just like I was talking about earlier, if you're holding this in your vision as this sounds great. And this is the kind of business that I want to have. And this is the kind of leader that I want to be. Hold that vision. Listen to interviews like this. Follow the people that are modeling this and take that path and know that you don't have to be on the path of competition and competition and comparison and all that sort of stuff. Because some people think that is the only way to succeed in business. We're saying right now it's not. So follow the people that are modeling the things that you want to see more in the world and business. I feel like that's such a mic drop. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Maybe we should end here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I loved, I love the permission giving um, that you created there, Audrey, the wherever you, you're at, whether you relate to yourself as high achieving or collaborator or not, that's okay. I think it's really about who you want to be and where you want to go and 
find people who are kind of carving the path and make humble requests. That, that's actually how I met Michael in the first place is, is I was looking for someone to just like, you know, I, I would buy them a coffee and I would ask them about their business and I would interview them a little bit. Like, how did you get to where you got to? And like, is there any way that I could support you? But really, I just want some information. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll connect you to these 10 million people. But yeah, it really is a, it really is a journey to who you want to become. So it was awesome. Well, uh, yes, I'm still here. <laughs> it was amazing. Did you, uh, did you all have something else to say? I think we covered it well. No Follow kidding. Us. Follow us. Read what we write. Get on our newsletters. If you like what you hear here, get more of us. That's all I have to say about that. Ask for collaborations. Review john's podcast yeah get, in, get into conversations yeah get into conversations yeah the conversations are important all right good so this is the uh this is the time in the podcast where we start talking about the next episode i think and we're gonna you know keep streaming here so people can be uh like really you're gonna talk about that any thoughts the trust piece uh, seemed like there was something there. I know that Lisa, you had pinged that. And I think there's a lot of conversation we can have about trust within with your audience or trust with your clients or trust with your business or trust with your self. I feel like there's that's a big conversation occurs to me. I think that could be a great topic. Um, where I would like to focus is the problem of self-doubt. Mm. Self-trust right there. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly, Audrey. That's what I was thinking is, what is the process to learn to trust yourself and to trust the people that are closest to you? First of all, do you have the right people around you? And do you trust them and they trust you? And then how do you learn to trust yourself? Because that self-doubt is really a killer. And, and I see it a lot. I love that. How about how trust builds business? Yes, I like it. Everybody wants to build a business. So let's do that. I love that piece around self-trust. I think that that's like the foundation of trust around business is first trusting yourself, trusting the process, trusting the vision. I like it. So is that it? I think that's it. We're getting so efficient. I know <laughs> how trust builds business. Heck yeah. I listened to that. Well, you probably will. Cause you'll be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be disappointed if you weren't. <laughs> I'll be there with bells on John. <laughs> I know. It'll be fantastic. All right. So, uh, thank you very much for being here. Um, and uh, if you want to find out more about these conversations, um, there's a whole lot of them. Uh, this is the seventh, and we're going to release one this next week. Do you remember the name of that one, Audrey? Or was it Lisa was wondering about that? When does that one get released? Uh, I, I think it was me. Uh, How to Pioneer in Business? Yes. Is that what it was? That's fantastic. So that gets released next week. Awesome. But anyway, go to uh, whathasmyattention.com. At the top, you'll see a button in the menu that says Episodes, and then you can choose the category called Women in Strong Leadership. 
and it will list all of the conversations that um, are about uh, women in strong leadership. And John, thank you again for having us. Yeah, thank you, John. Oh, you're really welcome. It, you know, it's my pleasure. I just, I just sat back on this one and just was totally present, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the wisdom. I mean, you know, this show goes so much farther beyond tips and tricks. Wait, are, are we talking about collaboration, John? Is Are we talking about having a collaboration right now? Because I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Hey, Audrey, we're doing it. <laughs> There's four of us. We found an example for you. <laughs> uh, that's great. So for everybody else, thanks for being here. And uh, until next time. <laughs>